Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Red Ice. I'm Henrik. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We have another interview lined up for you. We're going to talk with a activist and a nationalist dissident. Uh, choose the words that you'd like over in Germany. We have Sasha Rossmuller with us on the show. He's been uh, spoke with Lana back in, I think it was 2020. We tried to figure out what the date on that was, but uh, it's good to have Sasha back on the show. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Uh, a little bit of a of a winter flu, but uh, I don't know how it's labeled because I didn't test it. Uh, it doesn't matter for me uh, what's the cause why my nose is running and just a little bit of a flu, but I'm fine. And uh, it's a pleasure being here with you. Very good. Yeah, I've uh, I've had stuff coming and going as well. I never get tested, by the way. I refuse. <laughs> Whatever it is. I don't, I don't buy any of that stuff. All right. Uh, it's good to have you here. So we're going to focus on on the situation in Germany, at least uh, uh, primarily in the beginning here of the show, and just kind of break down what's what's happening. It's so much similar things happening in most of our European countries now, to be honest. Uh, the EU, you know, interconnected. So what's happening in one country is overlapping to another. In some cases, there's law differences. There's things like this. There's things you can say or not say in certain countries. There's, you know, differences like that. But otherwise, it's going in the same direction, which is basically uh, down the toilet. And it's kind of by design as well. That's one of the points. You sent me a good email to outline that as well, that it's like with this... Israeli-Palestine conflict, all these European nations have gotten involved now, and it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like with Ukraine, I guess, to a certain extent, right? We're expected to give up on everything and just send them all your money, send them, them our weapons, uh, let's support Ukraine. Now it's the same, but with, with Israel, essentially. Uh, and meanwhile, of course, our countries are just going completely down the tubes, and same thing with uh, Germany. Debt is out of control in Germany. The energy situation is uh, uh, very poor. And one of the reasons for that is because um, they have this green policy. We're going to make the green transitions. Let's decommission nuclear power plants. Let's do away with coal. <laughs> you know, these kinds of things. And then, of course, boom, Nord Stream happens. And miraculously, we're coming into like a, a period of almost deindustrialization here, uh, Sasha, as well, which is, I think, by design. How would you describe the, the situation in, in Germany right now? It's uh, definitely uh, a full force of a of uh, deindustrialization uh, we face here in Germany. However, I think it's uh, important to mention that uh, that already already started uh, bef before the Ukraine-Russian conflict. It even uh, started before this uh, traffic light uh, coalition. Uh, took over uh, the government uh, as with the green uh, party in in a coalition however it accelerated uh, since then and uh, if we do uh, a look uh, on the economic data uh, then we see a catastrophic picture uh, and the prognosis are uh, even as uh, catastrophic uh, of course and uh, i have I, we we spoke that we will talk a little bit of, about this uh, uh, economic issue, and, and uh, of course, uh, energy is in an in 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 an uh, in former times uh, in industrial nation uh, very very uh, a cru crucial point. Yeah, and I have I have done some some research uh, to uh, to give uh, the the audience a little bit of a data. Uh, how the reality in Germany is, because if I if I do a look to the uh, mainstream mainstream media, I I feel that the 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 overall view of Germany is that of a enormous, stable and and rich and an economic uh, strong country, but uh, of, uh, far away, far away uh, of that. We are since years. I try to explain the people here in Germany and uh, more than this, uh, the people abroad, that we are um, a giant uh, on feet of clays and that we are highly adapted and that our economy is in 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 decline uh, in decline since years and uh, one very i found one very interesting uh, data because it one can always focus on this uh, uh, daily news and then daily statistics are always changing and 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 uh, so you you never really know uh, is this a foundation for a long-term prognosis? But what's very interesting, I found, whereas in 1960, back in 1960, uh, 
61% of the economic output was back then still based on uh, industrial activity in Germany. Yeah. And today, this figure is only around 20%. Yeah. And uh, yes. more devastating is that the share of economic output accounted for by productive manufacturing in particular is roughly in Germany where it was, and now listen, where it was in the 1880s. You're kidding. Holy smokes. No, yeah, really, that's that, that's true. Yeah. And I, I think uh, now, if you hear this data, we could stop, we won't stop the discussion, but if we hear this, we can stop <laughs> everything should be clear. Yeah, of where <laughs> it's going, yeah. on, the, the macro trends of like where yeah. this is going overall. And of course, there's multiple reasons for this. I mean, it's, some of it is by the, the design. It's not the same type of people around as back. You know, there's many different reasons, right? And if it's more, you know, nationalistic than etc. these kinds of things as well. Now it's just, you know, the... There's so many agendas weaved into this, right? From the, the the green transition, this stuff, which is really, in my view, actually is about deindustrialization, uh, and then of course, yeah, so doing away with uh, auto, the automotive industry, all these other industries that Germany used to have, and as you said, it used to be the it was like the heart of of, of Europe, right? Manufacturing, production, doing all these things. It was still, you know, do, one of the countries that still had that. We had the same pattern really in Sweden as well. There were uh, when when things were starting to go bad for Volvo and Saab, the government didn't step in, and it's kind of like, you know, these brands don't mean that much today. It's all transnational corporations, but it's still it was anchored to a national identity of sorts. Like Volvo was like it was Swedish steel made by Swedish people, and it was like you know a good car. It worked. Same thing in Germany, really good cars and, and things like that. And when so when that's eroded, when that's kind of taken away, stripped away, and we become a nation of, of what they call paper pushers, right? We're sitting behind desks all the time. We don't make anything anymore. Everything is over in China. Uh, I think that demoralizes us overall on, on some level, don't you think? Yes, uh, it was the same in Germany, like you uh, described uh, regarding Volvo. Uh, if you look at uh, um, BMW, uh, uh, VW, if you look at uh, former days at Opel, the 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 is Opel the around anymore? The employees had some had had this uh, corporate uh, identity. Mm -hmm. They had some identification with the with with their uh, enterprise they have been uh, working for, or working not just working for in those days working with. And uh, today uh, it's not the same uh, employees uh, due to the uh, demographic exchange and. Um, and mostly uh, that's no longer employees at all. And so there is no identity with the corporates, corporations, no. with the enterprises. It's more the, 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 the new newcomers, their identity with the welfare system, but not with any enterprise. Exactly. No, that's true. Everything is robotics. <coughs> Excuse me, robotics and automation, right? They're going in this direction type of thing. Uh, but migration doesn't stop because of that. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> With the excuse. And uh, multiple times we've shown these headlines, but it, it bears repeating. There's there's newcomers, there's people that you know just are waking up to some of these to topics, right? But I, I can't tell you how many headlines we've shown, specifically out of Germany too, of how few of these refugees and migrants have come in that actually have jobs. They just come in and they become welfare dependents. They're living off of the state. And yet we're being told that these are the people that somehow are going to race our GDP, right? And they're going to take care of us later when we're old and stuff. Uh, it's all lies. It's just a bunch of lies. They propagate abortion and then uh, uh, tell, tell us that we need the migrants for our pension system. But exactly. uh, yeah. the, 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 re the reality the reality is that uh, I'm glad that you mentioned this topic because uh, just a few days ago, one uh, a... a a huge German newspaper called Die Welt uh, was writing, uh, was headlining even that uh, in the in the the recent uh, few years uh, that more than two million immigrated into Germany, but still the economy is lacking a qualified workforce. Yeah. So those who are immig immigrating into the welfare system. I won't be helpful for our pension system. And uh, that made me do a look on the statistics. And an interesting data is that uh, we have something that was formerly called hot sphere. Now it's called 
Bürgergeld, uh, citizens' money. It's uh, uh, tra the tra so it, it's the label of the transfer system where you uh, the, the uh, describe the money that you get if uh, that you get receive if you don't have if you're not in work. And uh, overall in Germany, more than 62 percent of all welfare recipients are migrants. Yep. And on the top of it, within the the age cohort. 15 years to 25 years, this number goes up to more than 71%. And the one who is between aged 15 and 25 here in Germany is not working. Uh, he, he never ever plans uh, to work. He's a um, welfare system addicted and uh, for sure uh, will do everything uh, but not uh, serve our pension system. Exactly. And then, of course, you know, idle hands. What, what's the saying again? It's the devil's I don't know, something like that. You, you, nothing to do. Right. So what, what do you do? You, well, you engage in maybe criminality, even if it's petty criminality or like we're seeing in Sweden. Right. These the huge now these gang cr crime things. You have bombs going off in Sweden. People, you know, being murdered because they live in the wrong house next to some supposed gang member or a family member of a gang member and we're just we're losing losing control that they were talking about bringing in the military recently this is liberal sweden this was never on the agenda ever this was like you know and <laughs> a big no-no and now it's like let's turn to the military see if we can keep the peace and keep the order the only way they can keep this together seems to be with some kind of like militaristic police state or something like that. That's the only way they can have a multicultural society, at least temporarily. Even that doesn't seem to work. Yeah, they they use this uh, terminal, and I think uh, it's not by by accident. Uh, it's a planned terminal because they use this terminal as an argument for uh, more uh, for creating more totalitarian states, uh, yeah. uh, more civilians, uh, more repression, uh, getting uh, with the argument of uh, safety and security, uh, trying to get the acceptance for the uh, Orwellian overkill. Yes, exactly. There was some interesting stats there, too. We can show that since we talk about, you know, criminality yeah. and well, some of these. Yeah, some of these kids then they're brought in second generation migrants, maybe third, maybe even fourth at this point. Right. Do you think that that you know, we heard at least it was like, well, integration, you know, kind of gets better and better, whatever. I think most of that, I think someone broke down that statistically and they talked about some of the major terrorist attacks in, in European countries. And it was usually like second or even third generation migrants. In other words, they get more, uh, you know, like displaced essentially and feel probably out of place in our society as well, uh, which is bizarre. But but check this one out. Uh, here's the crime rates of selected nationalities in Western Jur Europe and Germany, of course, is uh, listed in the uh, first column right there. Uh, it says in Germany, Italy and Spain suspected rates of Algerian immigrants are 10 times to 17 times higher than the suspected yep. rates of German, Italian, Spanish citizens. I'm, I'm surprised they got this uh, statistics out, to be honest. I know that Switzerland's still monitoring it or something like that. But yeah, that's what we're looking at. What are these people and doing in figures, our countries? And that figures are clearly the point why I say I'm sorry for the term, not the fuck interested in the circumstances the uh, asylum demander uh, will find after deportation in his country of origin, uh, origin yeah. because I'm more interested in the safety of my family in the homeland of our ancestors. Exactly. Yep, that's right. Yeah, and this has been, uh, you know, same thing with the policy in Sweden right there. I, I brought that up as an example a while ago, but it's it's just... <laughs> Fascinating thing that Sweden is always very, you know, um, obsessed, I guess. And in some cases, a, g a good way. In some cases, it's kind of overkill, but safety, 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 right? Whether there's road safety or, you know, other versions, they have guardrails all over society. But the, the, on the roads, right, they had the zero policy for a while. No one should die in traffic. So they rebuilt roads. They had, you know, much more stringent, like, um, applicate, you know, when you get your license, like the, the rigorous training that you need to go through, the amount of time you need to spend on this and stuff like that. Now, of course, it turns out that a bunch of migrants are failing this and they can't get a, a driver's license. So what do they do? They lower the bar, right? And, and essentially say, no, it's okay. It's okay. Now we, we should make it easier, right? They've offered it in their own language, even in some cases. And even then they, they, they fail these tests, right? So yeah, now yeah, we're at a situation, Sasha, where like, we are expected to go out and, 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 and risk our own lives and maybe the lives of our children that's with us in our cars 
just so that these people can be in our countries, uh, not work, not contribute, but but drive on the roads and be a potential hazard to us. This is so absurd. Yeah, yeah. Because if they stumble over their own feet, then it's neocolonialism. <laughs> oh my it's gosh! A, it's, it's a paradox. We have. Uh, we, it, it, it's absurd when we when we face uh, fenced-in Christian markets that are not allowed to call it any longer as as those, uh, but simultaneously have open borders. Yes, I remember the Christmas market. That's been a, a uh, what, what, there was one attack, maybe that's like five years ago now or something like that, five, six years ago, something like that. It was a big attack. And now I've seen multiple countries, especially the big cities, obviously, right? But still all over the place, huge, uh, you know, basically roadblocks in front to try to yeah. prevent people from driving in and things like that. Uh, I saw one clip out of Germany, too, where some uh, Muslims had set up some uh, Allah Akbar. They were seeing, you know, do, do a mic session basically right in front of the Christmas uh, in the square. I forget what town it was in or something like that. But it's just we're, we're losing our countries, uh, uh, Sasha. We're, we're, it, it's going down the drain. You know what I mean? It's sad to see this, right? Yeah. So what? It's a terrible, ter terrible situation, and uh, it goes on and on. And uh, I, today I read that uh, in 2000, uh, this year, uh, 2023, uh, there has been uh, 300,000 refugees uh, into Germany. Uh, that's the town uh, comparable to uh, Augsburg, for example, mm -hmm. or Karlsruhe. That are two German towns with 300,000 uh, inhabitants. And uh, imagine uh, for these people, it's it, it's not only about uh, money for food. It's it's the it's the it's the healthcare. It's the clothing. It's all the the infrastructure they 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 use. It, it you, you as you have to build up every year, year by year, a town for three hundred thousand people. And I assume that it's uh, in reality it's large more because uh, I think it was two or three weeks ago when the head of the federal office for migration and refugees in germany reported that the state and the federal authorities uh, could no longer withstand a wave of migration and are no longer able to register yeah, what does that mean if they are no longer able to register how can we trust the figures so uh, for sure the figures will be much higher than we can read in the newspapers exactly and of course now we have the conflict in uh, in Gaza, and there's been a number of articles about this. How not only Germany, but Germany has been floated right as one of the countries that need to ex you know accept these uh, Gaza refugees. Here's remix that you linked to Germany preparing to accept large influx of Gaza refugees, leading newspaper reports, and it's like okay, so they're getting some back end uh, uh, story on this here. Here was another one. Forget what sources was here. Uh, Gaza refugees should go to Germany. Palestinians in Gaza. Germany is preparing to accept refugees from the Gaza Strip. This is back in, in November 20th. And then you had this uh, op-ed. This is a Wall Street Journal, but Times of Israel reported on this too. Uh, two Israeli lawmakers call on European countries to take in Gaza refugees. And when you sent me your email, you, you, you mentioned this. And you were like, instead, you said this, instead of advocating a two-state solution based on an, uh, on an Israel within the 1967 borders, following numerous UN resolutions, coupled with a reparation program for the Palestinians, the German government is doing the Zionist business by supporting Israel's depopulation of the Gaza Strip by promising to take in the Palestinians. However, Germany, which is now more than 2.3 trillion euros in debt, and we should talk more about that because that's yeah. insane, can no longer afford its bankruptcy policy. <coughs> Excuse me. This year alone, Germany is allowing itself the dubious luxury of the following expenditures. Let me list these here. 50 billion euros for immigration, 33 billion euros for development aid, whatever that is. Is that, is that money going out of the country, I assume, then altogether? Out of the country for, yeah. the, for the, the third world countries. Yeah. Uh, 21, <laughs> excuse me, 21 billion euros for EU contributions, and then 15 billion euros for NGOs. I'd, I'd love to see a full list of that. I'm not sure if there's a breakdown of that, but that is just insane. And they, it, this is the same in every country. It's just they're printing money. They're just flinging it away. It's like it's 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 like they know that the party is over and they're just trying to get as much of it, squeeze as much out of it as, as they can at the end. What, what's happening? Is this by design? And, and on, on, on Who's doing this? It. And on top of it, 
just recently, the Supreme Court, the Constitutional Court in Germany ruled that the the budgets, the, 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 nation, the national budget have been uh, unconstitutional because they, uh, they, they made some uh, spe special uh, assets that uh, have not been budgeted within the original uh, budget that should be transparent, a kind of shadow household, households. Mm -hmm. And those shadow households grew uh, much higher than the original uh, national uh, budget. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely insane. And But it was one day after the Supreme Court ruled that, hey guys, that's unconstitutional. You can't work uh, uh, this way. Uh, and uh, by the way, uh, they are working with money they don't have. Exactly. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but one day after the fiscal committee of the parliament uh, met together, and they uh, and they decided on more expenditures. One, one day after this constitution, and they said, "Okay, we have uh, we have such a thing called a debt break, where a debt is limited in relation to the GDP in yeah. Germany. Yeah. But there is uh, an exemption if in in emergency case." And so they said, "Okay, then we." Uh, we will call out an emergency, presumably it will be the, cl the climate emergency, and then uh, we don't uh, have to abide uh, to this to, to this debt, right? Uh, to this limit. Yes, of course, we have an emergency in Germany, but the only and the, the main emergency is sitting on the benches of the government. Yeah, <laughs> but, I know. But not what they hallucinate in their environmental things for their fiscal policy. It, it, it's like they got. They have everyone under control uh, throughout the entire government. You know, what I mean, there's is there any voice? Is there any like critical voice? I'm not sure if you if you watch any of the like the day to day activities as such by some of these politicians or whatnot. But like, what? Maybe there's some like AFD. Wasn't that one of the reasons, by the way, why some of the AFD were actually doing very well? They were sensible on the energy question, I believe, uh, which is like why some so many Germans were like, okay, well that's at least reasonable. We have to get you know heat our homes somehow. Uh, and then, of course, it's the migration issue over, overall that they address there. But is there any anyone calling this out, like in the German parliament or any of these politicians, as far as you know? Yeah, the, the, the problem is that the, the, the center party, the CDU, the center party uh, tries uh, to convince uh, the Chancellor Scholz to, uh, yeah, to break with the Greens, to break with this coalition, and uh, they want back in a, in a great coalition the center with the social democrats and so the the cdu was did before the supreme court to put the pressure high uh, launch this uh, legal infringement uh, this uh, this legal proceeding in that regard but uh, however if uh, due to the fact that they want uh, also uh, in, into the the government uh, so they then they're not really uh, won't make this uh, para paradigm shift in in fiscal policy that uh, that would be uh, re required now. Yeah, exactly. And then there's still uh, reparations. Obviously, the Germany pays to Israel. I was trying to find a number for that too. And apparently, that's going to what end in like 2045. We'll see what happens. But let me see. Is this just? Uh, well, this is just a, this is a one screenshot. This is not current, right? But. Um, this says here, West Germany paid Israel a sum of 3 billion marks, around 714 million uh, United States dollars, according to a 1953-1955 convention rate over the next 14 years. 450 million marks were paid to the uh, World Jewish Congress. And that's just one screenshot. I, I think I had others somewhere of like them showing just kind of the year after year, you know, uh, expenditures on this issue as well. I just I don't know how these systems just continue to go on. Like, oh, here it is. Let me let me show you this real quick. Just uh, that could be interesting for the audience to see that too. Uh, here we go. From 1945 to 2018, it says down there, uh, the German government paid approximately 86.8 billion. That's the United States dollar there uh, in restitution and compensation to Holocaust victims and their heirs. And I'm not sure if that's maybe also uh, on the side of like in addition to maybe what Germany gives to Israel, you know, overall, there's there's aid, as you said, in the other uh, included, right? The 33 billion euros for development aid. I'm sure some of that might, might go to Israel as well. But it's just this, 
most European nations are like this. You look at it, right? Uh, e the EU overall just gives Africa like 20 billion euros every year or something like crazy like that. I just, uh, how long can this go on, do you think, to be honest? A record number, because you mentioned uh, develop, uh, development aid, a record number was in 2020 when Germany, alone Germany, not the EU, just Germany gave more than 41 billion euros uh, foreign aid uh, to Africa. And again, I, but I, we, we don't have this. Uh, we, we, we don't have uh, the, uh, the this uh, this money. We are we, we are indebted with two point three uh, trillion uh, euros. It's uh, it's it's absolutely crazy, and, and I'm sure that's uh, that's for design. And uh, yes, it, it would be a topic a topic for itself to discuss with this Africa and foreign aid, and then also in, in regard of this uh, migration because it's very interesting, and I don't think. That a lot of, of uh, a lot of people are not aware that uh, how the the uh, population explosion is going on on the African continent, yeah. and how how the relation of those figures is to the overall inhabitants in the European Union, and uh, by 2050, it's not very long. 2050, for example, Niger alone could be home to as many people as the entire EU yeah, I know. inhabits. Yeah. And, uh, but what most people don't know is because the proportions, if you're looking on the map, the proportions, if you're looking on the, on the globe or are looking on a map, are not, uh, are not mirrored uh, how they are in reality are. Because Africa will, even if they have this uh, population growth, which you never can solve with asylum politics. No, no every no. lunatic who thinks this should go uh, to back to the school benches for mathematics. He hasn't grasped what's an, an, an exponential function. Yeah. Uh, but Africa will by no means uh, be too cramped as the continent is around 10 times larger than India, which is currently home to a population of roughly the same as Africa is. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And then, of course, the we, you know, the continent is so large that they could accommodate the USA and China. Yeah. And if you took if you do a look to the to the population uh, density in Africa, it's less than 50. I don't know a per square kilometer. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the population density per square kilometer is in the USA, but in Europe, uh, it is 117. Yeah, it's and dense. in Asia, it's 150. But in, Af in Africa, it's 50. Why should we yeah, Europeans, we occidental kind of, of, of mankind, we white people, why should we save one who is, uh, who is facing, witnessing a population explosion while we are in decline, only 6% or 7% of the whole uh, global uh, population, uh, in, the, in the, ch the children only uh, 3%. That's, that, that's absolutely absurd. And also in economic terms, it's not necessary because 60% of the world's arable land are in Africa. A third of all unused agricultural land is in Africa. And that's according to UN figures, around 30% of the world's mineral deposits. Guess where? In Africa, 12% yep. of the world's oil reserves. Africa, 8% of the world's natural gas reserves in Africa located. So there is no need that we transport, transport uh, Africa to Europe because uh, it won't help Africa. However, in Europe, uh, will be nothing will be left that uh, deserves this name any longer. Yeah, there was someone Sorry like for that passion now, but it broke yeah. out of me. No, no, that's good. It, it's very interesting, and it, it, it's true because I, I, I focus on that too. And and you have this thing. Well, you know, you came and stole all this and blah blah blah. But it's like, look at the amount of money like that we're helping and trying to. And, and look, I get that there's there's corruption down there. There's some warlords that, that you know arise, and then there's some civ, you know civil war. There's conflict. Blah blah blah. I'm not saying there's no, you know, maybe meddling or whatever, but you have you have corrupt you have corrupt interests and they sell weapons to the right side, you know, this side and then they go to war with the other. I get all that stuff, right? But we've had that kind of stuff in in Europe too. That's that's part of our history too. We had the, <laughs> those things happening. But now it's like this, you know, we're expected to have this kind of hands-off approach while we've been giving them billions, right? Let me let me do a couple of screenshots here. Here's uh 
from the uh, the African EU partnership website the, on, on the EU, right? And let me zoom in on that portion up there. It says the EU and its member states are the biggest donor to the African continent, approximately 20, as I said before, 20 billion euros a year in development aid is directed to Africa. What, what's what's happening with this money? Where is it going? Like, there was a YouTuber, uh, what's his name, Mr. Beast, that went down recently and like building uh, wells, drilling for water, you know, wells and stuff like that. It's like... Yeah. Why does an American white kid have to show up and drill wells in in, in Africa when like this amount of money is <laughs> it's, it's it's sad, right? And he, here's another one, by the way, a game of give and take, a classic screenshot. Yeah. They talk about the rise of the global south and all that stuff. Well, well, guess who's been paying for this? It's it's Western, uh, you know, countries. The the no northern parts of it, with the addition of like New Zealand and Australia down in the south, essentially. Japan, you know, is one of the countries part of that too, I guess. And and in the U.S. Uh, one of the tweets here from Battlebeak said the total aid to Africa from 1960 to 2013 comes up to over $5 trillion or the equivalent of about 50 Marshall plans. Germany what was given what? what in, in not, I'm not debating whether it was good or not, whatever. America, you know, <laughs> has occupied Germany since then. It is official on the books even, right? But they got, I believe, one Marshall plan and then the extension, the... German Marshall Fund, the, the, a follow-up were called or something like that, right? But yeah. it's, it's not even comparable. And so obviously this amount of money is helping also to grow the populations, not fix many things maybe with the corruption. And then instead, Sasha, they're pouring into uh, Europe and, and, and America and some of the other countries as well, while their population at home, as I said, continues to grow. And with the low density, they will be able to presumably continue to grow as well unsustainable this just doesn't work right yeah never ever i'm not sure what to do about it but uh i, I think it's hands-off approach or something they got to solve their own issue we have our own problems now you know what i mean we the point is we there can't are, carry the rest lot, of the world on our backs right there are a lot of uh of african economists who are very critical to this uh kind of uh foreign aid uh because uh, they say that uh the, the the result of, of, of this pouring money is that uh, you learn the people just waiting to to receiving uh, to receiving the aid exactly so they, yeah. to to to, uh, to never become uh, productive uh, in, in their own way in their own culture and in their own traditional way in their in their own uh, traditions traditions they had uh, made with their uh, with their cattle or with their agriculture or whatever yeah. but uh, the, there are a lot of uh, economists from Africa who say if it would be better for the continent and they would be more successful if we uh, if we would at least not help this way as we do now. You know, yeah, now it's like what is it called the UN World Food Program or something that they you drop bags of rice and milk powder or something. You know what I mean, like you just end endless stuff like that has been happening. And as you say, I mean, you got to uh, what's the what's the old saying, right? You got to teach a man to, to fish, not just give him the fish, right? You got to they yeah. got to and I mean they they yeah. Anyway, it, it's it's a huge issue just to, that, that that's compounding on top of what's already happening. The question is though. As things change, presumably financially, I, I mean, unless they whip out an ace, ace card or what do you call it, an ace through their sleeve, as the saying goes, and let's say overhaul the economic system, or they they, they make a, a digital, you know, euro, they go for some kind of central bank digital currency or something like this, and they kind of decide to write off the debt or like scrap the old system and then just kind of keep going. Maybe they will do something like that. Uh, to keep you know everything going, which I guess would be that, that would be very bad. Actually, it's probably better to just have a heavy recession, have a crash, have a fall, have a collapse, and so you know build it back up again or something like that. But if the welfare stops coming, right? If we can't even take care of ourselves, obviously we're not going to be able to take care of all these other people as well. Could could that help us a bad economic situation? Could that help us in terms of like restoring some of the def demographics to our countries? What do you think? I think it will help in an ethical and morally sense because uh, in uh, in hard times you have to concentrate more on the really essential things. Uh, you in 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 hard times uh, you're you're not interested in uh, titty or in hot uh, times uh, 
it's uh, the top point on the agenda will not be the transgender toilets or or anything <laughs> else and uh, if they're I think they will do this uh, over expansion and this uh, digitalization and everything, but uh, this over expansion will be more and more harder to control. And if it will collapse, then uh, it will be a, a fragmentation of uh, systems of, of, of uh, institution. But uh, this uh, out of this uh, fra fragmented institutions maybe there will be a rise uh, from fragmentation to regionalization and that could be maybe a a, a healthy development but uh, because but the, the problem is that uh, i fear that uh, mankind uh, will learn it the hard way and not by reason yeah that's true and uh, it's always when we're uh we get too comfortable, right? We get super uh, you know, complacent in that. And, and at some point, we have to kind of be pushed back into reality a little bit uh, in touch with nature and how things used to be. It's, it's, it seems to be a natural cycle. And we're just kind of at the top of that right now. We're about to find, we're about to find out just, you know, how, just how, uh, how, how much we've been living above our means. And, uh, you know, again, unless they, unless they will something out, because I'm, I am worried about that. I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think one of the things you're, you're probably you know, aware of that too, right? The central bank digital currency plans, uh, they're floating this in the EU right now. Christine Lagarde recently of the European Central Bank mentioned that they're trying to take the, the euro digital. Uh, and then on top of that, the IMF are working on kind of like a global central bank digital currency. Individual nations are doing that as well. But this money would be what they call programmable, essentially, right? So think of dissidents or those on the outside. Just as an example, look at how the German government have treated the uh, the AFT alternative for Deutschland uh, and some of the politicians there. I think it was specifically, I forget which region was it in uh, Bavaria, Bayern, right? One area where they were doing very, very well. And the government is like, oh, basically, they're uh, they're terrorists. They labeled, was, it, was that what they did? They labeled them right-wing extremists or something, and they're under su surveillance, some of the politicians now, right? Yeah, in, in, in the in the eastern part of Germany, uh, or in the part of the former uh, German Democratic Republic, uh, they're, they're on, in the polls, uh, they're leading the polls. If it, uh, be it in Saxonia, be it in Thuringia, be it in Brandenburg, uh, uh, they are they are leading the polls and and we but we in the next year there will be federal elections but we will see that in some or in in, in several of that federal states of germany the afd will win the election but there is no hope that they will be uh, in the government coalition right. and uh, yeah. i hope that then people will uh, then people will realize that uh, democracy has has uh, said uh, his goodbye yeah come to uh, its conclusion that's that's that right because if this is what, the, what people are voting for and the government steps in whoa 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 easy there now you can't vote for whatever party you want <laughs> yeah and then and, but uh maybe that's an, an eye-opener also again for people maybe that will accelerate uh, some developments and uh maybe uh, that will also uh, bring some AFD politicians uh, to more uh, to more realistic mindset not only uh, this uh, coalition uh, pipe dreams and maybe in some in, in some of that states there are also uh, interesting uh, developments not only uh, the party i belong uh, die heimat but also there are some uh, regional uh, developments for example in uh, saxonia there is there are the so-called uh, uh, the free Saxonians uh, translated via Saxon, mm -hmm. and uh, they are in in on the on the local level. They are also in some municipalities, and they are really successful. And they are they are the leading force on the protests on the street. And I can imagine, and they will run the election next year in Saxonia. I can imagine that we will see next year in Saxonia, next to the AFD, another right-wing uh, group in the parliament mm. with those three Saxonians. And that can be a, 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 pretty, a pretty interesting uh, development. And uh, I, I'm glad about this development because uh, we also need uh, forces 
uh, that the the voters can see can take as a kind of a litmus test yeah. if the just conservative rights will deliver what the voter has ordered. Yeah, in Sweden you've had that too, right? As kind of obviously the population overall is is drifting more towards nationalistic policy, uh, you know, policies, and they want they want their country back essentially progressively parties that used to be like they say the, the the moderate party which is <laughs> used to be our you know conservatives or whatever um they pick up talking points be that from the sweden democrats and then you have you know alternative for sweden you kind of pushing a little bit on the sweden democrats and you know nudging everybody a little bit in that direction but the danger is of course is was oh they they pick up the talking point the rhetoric is there and they say oh we got to do this get to the blah 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 but nothing happens you know what i mean never implementing anything yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it just delays the entire process and then people are like even sweden democrats like i'd love to give them a chance same thing with with afd like if they could sure go ahead you know do it but look at like maloney right in italy the phony maloney baloney as we yeah, call her yeah. now Huge she, disappointment. Huge disappointment, right? All, all these talking points initially and do this and do that. And then she comes in and then it's worse under her. And I think a lot of Italians are like, finally, great. Okay, we didn't get Salvini, but we have her at least, right? She's, you know, she's going to fix things for us now. And yeah. then nothing happens. And you have this long delay of like, well, however long they're in there. Italy's a little bit different. It's kind of more chaotic, their political system. But like, say she's in there for four years or whatever. Now you have a four-year delay where migration continues, it just gets progressively worse and more damage is inflicted until, and I'm not saying that the solution to all of our problems here is political, but it's part of it, obviously. We have to we have to operate and work on that level as well. But it just delays it and it just makes it worse, right? Yes. I, the conservative right formations, uh, that's not only in Germany, I think that's overall in Europe, uh, be it in Germany, be it in Sweden or uh, wherever, the conservative right formations often relatively young organizations without a long tradition, moreover with uh, often a composition of dissatisfied uh, people looking for a new direction who often came from very uh, political camps previous. And so they often lack uh, guanatura, they lack the, the unity and, and needed rigor. And, uh, and also a lack of... of a lack of resilience to repression leads to some uh, always uh, demarcations at the behest of their actual political opponents uh, not cooperate with uh, one who is who is labeled uh, more far right yeah. but uh, who, who the one who does the labeling is the political enemy yeah. uh, and uh, i think uh, yeah. history never rewarded one who did an ideological retreat on behalf of the enemy and uh, however, on the other side, by being widely recognized in the public due to the, the successes, they can make, uh, there's a possibility to make a valuable contribution to preventing the area of what can be said from being further restricted or even contribute to expand that. And, and their successes are valuable for initiating a change in political awareness and politicizing new circles who previously have not been uh, uh, with uh, political awareness and consciousness. However, vote, as I've said, voters' expectations must not be disappointed. And so far, protest voters, uh, the name it says, uh, have mostly not been delivered what they ordered. No. Solid, audible, audible uh, protest. And this is why traditional genuinely, genuinely ethno-nationalist formations are important as a kind of litmus test for voters to yeah. visibly ensure the extent to which populist organizations deliver. And uh, moreover, the right-wing conservatives mostly do little work on the meta and the pre-political field. Exactly. No, they're there to trim the branches a little bit and you know, <laughs> they don't strike at the roots of, of these problems, right? And you do have and something I want to. I'll ask you more about that in part two. We're going to take a break here in a little bit, but just there's another. If at least what I'm seeing, level of maybe not activism is the right. There is that too. There's there's plenty of groups out there. A lot of protests and things like that too, and that, that that's good as well. But just a lot of you know younger uh, uh, guys in many European countries. It's happening in the, the U.S. It's happening in Australia. Things like that. They're just 
they're getting together, they're 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 forming groups, they're they're training together, they're just getting together, forming their little you know tribe essentially, right? And and, and that's something that's very good as well. It's something we have to turn to, and I'm going to ask you more about that later on. I also want to talk about the the kind of the media environment a little bit because you mentioned that like just that continuous pressure of just like let's just call them you know uh, far right and bigots and you know whatever it is, and that that will keep them in line. And for some that works for you know it, it's just about delaying. How do I put it? It's to get us to bow down to them for as long as possible, so that they can inflict as much damage as possible on our countries. That's yeah. what that's what it feels like, right? So, uh, and I also want to ask you about the Nord Stream attack because that we didn't really get into that, but just like how, it, you know, what's the view on that in Germany and stuff? Because that's one of the hardest hit countries regarding that, right? But uh, let let's do a couple of plugs here. We're gonna wrap up the first segment in a little bit, but I want to uh, do a couple of plugs. I know you have. Uh, two books uh, in the works that you're... I'm not sure if you've written them now or are they just being translated now, uh, Sasha, the two books I you have, mentioned? I, I have written already two books. One of the two books is also available in English language, one only only available in the German language. Uh, one book uh, is... Uh, the, which is The one which is in English language available is Europe contra EU, Let's Break Away from Brussels. That's available in German and English language. And the other is a book about uh, geopolitics. Uh, it's uh, unfortunately uh, only in German language available. It's translated. The title would be uh, Geopolitical uh, Sea Change, uh, uh, Multipolarity Instead of Imperialism. But uh, you're right. I'm currently uh, working on two different books. I hope to uh, finish uh, in, in 2024. One book should be a more extensive volume, not only focused on this daily politics, but more on this on the cultural, political, philosophical, ideological uh, roots. Uh, the book and another one it, it will be a, a little bit uh, a, a shorter volume that um, maybe i can finish within the next uh, three months or so i hope that will be a, a book about culture and it will be a little bit uh, also a book a very personal book because i i will uh, try uh, to to explain as I, in, in uh, i will introduce my favorites in culture on the different fields mm -hmm. and why that are my favorites and in a, I try to do it in a kind of way that uh, young uh, nationalists maybe can take this as a first step uh, to uh, to get acquainted with our occidental uh, traditional culture be it in literature be it in philosophy be it in in painting be it in in music and uh, and and the reader will uh, will there uh, become introduced my personal uh, favorites with a description why they are my favorites why I love them and uh, why I think they're important uh, for also for uh, our European uh, political work. Yeah, something we need to be reminded of, uh, you know, all the time. To be honest. Uh, <laughs> Why do we do what we do? What are we trying to preserve? You know, all those things. We got to remember all that. We got to talk about our our culture, our heritage, our traditions. You know, those kinds of things. Very, very important. Uh, now, at the moment, I actually have some issue to to load some of the websites for some reason. But let's see if I can add them in, in post. Deutsche, um, you said minus you can say hyphen in English. Stimme.de. That's of course you know in in German language. Uh, and then uh, die Heimat. It's formerly the the NPD. Do you want to say anything about uh, the party that you're involved in there? Yes, the Heimat, it made a, a, a reform process, this party. It was known in the right-wing circles as National Democratic Party of Germany, the NPD. And uh, the, uh, the leadership of NPD was working three or four years uh, to adapt to new situations situations because of populist uh, new successful formations we we have been a little bit m marginalized in the parliamentarian and party political way uh, despite we had some on, on the local level uh, some uh, parliamentarians uh, but not on the federal and the nationwide level anymore and uh, so uh, we uh, we thought uh, we, we have to go to adapt to a new situation and uh, we wanted to combine this with a new nomenclature. And we, we saw that we had some resources in our party. We have been marginalized. And, but on the other hand, we had some, uh, some houses, 
We have a good circle of uh, skilled lawyers with experience on this particular field. Uh, we have an, a, a very high quality magazine. I also had an interview years ago with uh, with Lana, an excellent interview in that uh, it it's also called Deutsche Stimme, that magazine. And uh, we have a, a, a a, com a, a company, uh, uh, a publishing company with this, and, 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 and a lot of such resources, but uh, we, we, we couldn't use this and optimize this potential anymore. And so we thought we have to, we have to change our bylaws, our, our statutes, not the ideology, not the program, but our bylaws to, to be more an anti-party or more than a party and not any longer uh, work in organizational egoism in uh, competition, but uh, to offer more, uh, to use also our uh, our resources in, uh, in cooperation. And, and that we had also uh, on, the, on, the, on the top made this reform with, with this new nomenclatura. Uh, and so this party no longer uh, is named NPD, but it's the Heimat. I don't know how to translate the homeland, the homestead, the right. homeland, yep. or anything like a, like that. Yeah. And wow. I, I I'll, be, I'll be running next year for the European election. Okay. All right. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very very good. Interesting. Yeah. And then you mentioned, of course, uh, <clears throat> Deutsche Stimme as well, the the magazine. Right. Tell us about that. Yes. It's uh, it it was a newspaper for many many years, and then in 2020 or. Yeah, I think it was back 2020. Uh, we started to make it more in a in, in a high-profile uh, magazine with a, and and uh, with uh, more more professional uh, quality. And uh, unfortunately, it's only in, in, in German German language. But uh, if one uh, if one do a look in in, uh, in in the homepage, you can see how professionally this is made. It's it has the same quality as the Focus or the or Spiegel or the the mainstream uh, magazines have in kind of this of the of the the makeshift uh, the the professionality. Definitely. We'll add some links to this down below as well. We got that. And then, uh, yeah, a couple of, per uh, I guess, some of the personal places where people can follow you. Do you have a, a Telegram channel, Ross Mueller's Dissident channel? Uh, it's simply... Yes, this is the one uh, uh, in, uh, in English language. Yep. I also, of course, have a, a, a one uh, in, in German language uh, that is fine for the for the German uh, speaking audience of uh, Red Eyes. They find me under my name, Sasha Rosmüller, also a, a German channel with more followers and where I more often, of course, uh, post in the German. But I, I regularly inform also in this uh, English channel, uh, Rosmüller's Dissident channel, nearly on a daily basis or several times a week at least. And uh, I'm I'm also on uh, on Gap, which yep. is yep. which I post mostly mostly in in there are some you see it pinned there is it in German, but mostly in Gap is uh, posted in in, in English mm -hmm. language by me, and uh, I've also uh, on on Getter where I post bilingual German and English, and uh, after uh, not so much followers because after Elon Musk uh, took over. I, I made my uh, Twitter now X account, and I, there I also post sometimes German, sometimes uh, in English language. So, if someone want to find me, uh, it's easy to find me, and uh, I'm uh, thankful and uh, for everyone who who follows me and. Uh, and most of all, not just follows me, but uh, distributes the information, the data. Exactly. There. Yep, that's it. Yeah, awesome. Uh, yes, yeah, so we'll add some of these links down below, of course, as well. Let's see if I can get the, for some reason, the, uh, yeah, the Heimat and uh, Deutsche Stimme it doesn't load on my end. So I'm, I'm thinking like some VPN blockers. I'll, I'll see if I can figure it out later. But anyway, I'll add links to those below, guys. So definitely check that out and then follow, uh, you know, Sasha on some of the uh, social media that we mentioned here as well. Uh, so we're going to take it. Oh, and we got to mention too, by the way. Let's uh, mention where's the uh, website. Here we go. Uh, Europa Terra Nostra as well. Of course, you're a what? What, what are you? What's your position there again? You're vice. Uh, I'm, vi I'm, I'm vice, vice chairman uh, of Dan Eriksson, a friend of you I yep. know since many years from yep. Sweden. Yeah, he's I'm, doing I'm great work. Of uh, Europa Terra Nostra, and uh, there, there also to find some some articles I've written in, uh, of course, in English language and. Uh, and I've been also in Sweden on on a uh, I don't know a few years ago. I've been in Sweden uh, at the uh, Svenskarna, who's uh, yeah. 
Uh, Oskarot uh, at, at, at an event of uh, Dan Eriksson, and it was uh, it was very impressing. Really yeah, impressive. They, they have a great uh, you know facility there and stuff like that. They're building that. Out. It's really yeah, we could talk more about that, of course, in the second once I get a break in a moment. But yeah, um, that's part of what the, the activism is that I'm talking about. People are just they're just doing it. They're just getting together. They're forming community. They're forming tribes. You know these kinds of things. That's that's really what it is all about. All right, more coming up, guys, in the uh, second part together with Sasha Rossmuller. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back. Join us for part two with Sasha Ross Mueller as we continue to discuss Israel and the future of uh, you know their country and where that's going. Uh, what happens if Israel loses? What happens if uh, Palestine or Palestinians or at least the Gaza Strip if they lose in the West Bank? Uh, two, two different scenarios. What's the optimal one for us as as Europeans? We'll talk more about that. We'll talk overall about how the media is losing kind of the narrative and them as regime enforcers is just kind of discrediting them more and more and more. Uh, we talk about the polarization, really, that comes in the wake of, of the media and politicians doing what they have done and continuing to do uh, in our countries. We also talk more about the uh, destruction of the Nord Stream, kind of how that was viewed both in Germany, but also by, by Sasha himself. Uh, really huge attack. And so you're seeing this massive, you know, shift, not only in the energy sector, but in the geopolitical, um, you know, on the geopolitical chessboard as well as a consequence, right? You have all these different NATO countries now, so there's Turkey being a thorn in the side of other NATO countries. Then at the same time, you have the rise of the BRICS countries and what they call the multipolar world order. What does that mean for us? Is that any good? Um, we, we'll discuss that. Uh, and then also we'll talk towards the end more about um, kind of generally just a type of activism and community building and uh, tribe forming and uh, training that we're seeing uh, all throughout uh, European society. A lot more people are getting together. They're just doing things themselves as things centralize more and more, as power centralizes. And we drift, be that planned, of course, towards world government. They're kind of losing that granular control, maybe? I don't know. I mean, they are targeting groups, and we'll talk more about that, too. In Germany, the Artgemeinschaft was recently banned. Uh, what was that about, right? So they target groups, and they outlaw groups, and they try to shut them down, but they can't shut down all of us. And that is something that's growing, and it's a positive uh, direction for where we're going. People are networking more than before. They're looking for solutions among their own as opposed to among politicians, which, of course, is never ultimately uh, how any of this will be resolved, to be honest. We'll talk more about that, so it's a great part two coming up together with Sasha Rossmuller. So join us at redassmembers.com for a membership. Please support us. Keep in mind, we don't have any huge sponsors. Also, we don't interrupt with annoying ads. We don't try to push gold or VPNs on you in the middle of our shows. So if you like what we do, please support us uh, with a membership. It's really the best way to do it. It's only 10 bucks a month, but if you get a longer one, you get it cheaper. You get almost 35% uh, off if you get a two-year subscription. Uh, so you can do it that way as well. Uh, so as we said, you can do it on redhousemembers.com. Uh, we have some uh, embedded options there like DonorBox, but uh, there's a number of other methods. We're working on a uh, more permanent payment processor here coming up next as well. Uh, otherwise, there's other methods for you. You can join on Odyssey, you can join on Subscribestar or uh, our Locals, our recent edition. We're adding new members content on our Locals, redeyestv.locals.com. So that's some of the options. Please support us with a membership. We're only here because of you. So thank you so much for being there for us so that we can be there for you. All right, guys, also want to say thanks to our executive producers today. T. Lothrop Stoddard, V. Miller, Resin Revolt, Good Luck Lap, Jake, Red Pill Rundown, French 47, Mark Smith, No One Jeeves, President Obunga, Mongoose, William Fox, Angry White Soccer Mom, The Second Wanderer, Operation Werewolf, The Ride Never Ends, Francis Parker Yockey, Dillabob, Last Place Simp, Joseph Hart, Purple Hayes. We also have Colin Marriott, Kami Combo Deal, The Dearborn Toxic Event, Brendan Anthony, and 55 Club Books. Also thanks to our producers, Mr. Walker, 696, Johansson, Leroy Dumond, Snark Pup, Eyes Open, Mr. Lemry, Yuri New, Obadiah Hexwell, Perfect Brute, Single Action Army, HP Lovecraft, Dixie Drone Force, and 55clubbooks.com. Thank you so much, guys. We appreciate your support. If you want to get an executive producer tier or a producer tier, you can get that at redhousemembers.com. You can get it on Odyssey or Subscribestar. 
Definitely check that out. Get some resources our way if you want to. You can also, of course, donate to the show. That's a great way of helping us out as well. RedEyes.tv forward slash donate if you feel so inclined. We appreciate all your support. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll be right back with part two together with Sasha Ross Mueller. We'll see you on the other side.